Put it up here. That'll help. Whew. Good morning. Thank you. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, Lord, uh, I just come before you like a empty vessel that I just want you to pour in and I want to pour out, Lord. Lord, I feel like the verses that you've given me are just that. They're empty vessels and that you have things that you want to say about them. Lord, I don't want to say my thoughts about them. I want to say what you are saying about them. Lord, I'm just asking that you give us eyes to see Eyes to see your beauty. Eyes to see into your throne room. Eyes to see the glorious Son, the Father. Lord, just give us eyes to see. Um, I added a thing at the last minute. So can you turn to Revelation 4, 2, 6? I was having trouble... Um, Focusing. <laughs> so having trouble focusing and hearing and really touching him this morning. Um, and I felt like, well, I just want my gaze to be set on him kind of before I start and go any further. So um, Revelation 4.2, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. So if you could just take a moment and use your imagination, let that muscle be strengthened at the moment. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightning, thundering, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. All right, I'm going to turn. You can if you want. It's not very big. To Exodus 24, 7. This chapter, 24, I have the heading. There's all these little headings, and we've been given, they're talking about different principles and justice for all and the law concerning servants and all these different things. And then in 24, it says, Israel confirm, affirms the covenant. And I'm going to pop down to seven there. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. And then Moses went up with Aaron, 
Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heaven in its clarity. And on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. All right. So I want to talk a little bit today about... Um, a wedding and the bride and the bridegroom a little bit about Israel um, about tabernacles feast of tabernacles um, and about covenant I want to start with the core value of light hops that is to contend for a night and day cry for the protection and salvation of Israel's remnant and unity around Jesus' millennial purpose. So that's one of the core values that the Lord gave us. Um, we've talked a couple about a couple of them on these Sundays and encourage you to read over them and pray into them. This is a funny one, it's not funny, but um, it, how I came to it. So I felt the Lord talking to me first about covenant and then about marriage and weddings. And I took this little journey. And after I had gotten a whole bunch of verses and he had already talked to me quite a bit, um, then I said, okay, Lord, is there any core value that you want me to incorporate or is that for another time? And I opened it and my spirit really responded to this one and it I could just keep seeing how it fit with what he had already given me um, to contend for a night and day cry for the protection and salvation of Israel's remnant and unity around Jesus' millennial purpose and it gives some verses that I then went to but some of them I already had I'm going to read first, which is not one of the verses there, but I want that us to keep that in mind, um, that core value. I want to go first to Revelation 21, 1 to 3. Now I saw a new heaven. And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. So... I kept coming across that phrase, that just phrase, he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God just kind of resonated with me as I was preparing to talk. Um, and also the song, um, there's going to be a wedding. Uh, it's the reason that I'm living to marry the lamb, that phrase. 
Uh, that came up actually even in person that I sang it. I love that sentiment. I think, though, there is a tricky bit in the same sentiment. There's going to be a wedding. The reason that I'm living to marry the lamb. So there's a tricky bit in that, even in that song, it's very much looking at yourself. I can't remember the name of it. It's something about ashes or, anyway, it's a, it's a very much a, I'm having an intimate conversation with the Lord and I'm seeing myself differently and redeemed. And, and, and then you get to this bridge part, I think. There's going to be a wedding. It's the reason I'm living to marry the lamb. And, and I can't help but hear the, it's the reason that I'm living. It's, it's for me, right? When, when we sing that. And I think there's definitely a place for that. But I also catch myself um, staying there and missing the part which is to marry the lamb, right? I get the reason that I'm living and I lose the, the goal, the other half of the equation, the focus on the lamb, the marriage of the lamb. That's his story. I'm a part of it. Um, and to, um, it's, it's a big temptation to think of myself as, um, is, is to have my me and Jesus moment and to go to Song of Solomon and, and be lost in the love of the Lord and start to picture me as the bride and somehow you are all your own bride with Jesus part and, and, and having it being really personal which it is, but then losing the fact that the bride is really a group. It's really Israel's, this remnant. It's the unity of Israel's remnant, the ones that turn and declare, you are Messiah, and turn their life. With the ones who have declared, you are Messiah, and have given their life, Those, this group of people, this is the bride, but it's not just a bride of people that can be anywhere. It is also a bride that is a city that is Jerusalem. Which, you know, when you're singing, there's going to be a wedding, and it's the reason I'm living, to marry the Lamb, which I love. Um, I think the Lord is calling us right now to don't forget that it's about the son becoming married and it is a location and a bride that is a unified group. Um, he brought me to Philippians 4.4. 4. In fact, I heard it come up in the prayer room this week as well. This is one of my favorite passages. I uh, recorded the NIV version because uh, in my notes, so I'll read that version. Because way back when I was in college, and this is where the Lord led me, and I just sat on this verse for a great, great long time. And in fact, when I was married, Dave and I chose this as our verse to share at our wedding. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, 
by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your quests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I think that's about thinking about him and focusing on him, and he's calling us to see rightly his plan, his plan for the end-time bride, which includes Israel and us together as in a city. It's a city. Um, the song that came, I wonder if it's up here. I'm stealing your music. Um, the Hosanna song came up this morning. What a beautiful combination of kind of what I was touch, te teaching about this morning. Um, because in it, the verses talk about, I see the king of glory. I see his love and mercy. And it's describing looking. It's looking at him. It's looking at what he's doing. It's looking at how he's coming. And then it's, I see a generation but mostly it's the first parts. I see him, I see him. And then the Hosanna part, which, as I mentioned, I'm going to talk a little bit about Feast of Tabernacles, but Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which, of course, we know is what they said about Jesus as he walked through the street, waving branches, which is actually very much a... Um, Feast of Tabernacles moment where they recognize him. He is king. Um, and they're waving those palm branches at him. That's just a foretaste when we talk about that in my notes. <laughs> but Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you're talking about us seeing, about focusing on you even when we were praying, Lord, about um, hard things that are happening, and we want to see rightly. We want to see what you're doing. We want to focus on you. Revelation 21, again, I don't know if you changed it, Philippians 4, 4, but we're back to Revelation 21. I want to talk about the new Jerusalem, 21, 9. Then one of the angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had great and high walls, or had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. So when I was focusing on this, clearly we've got the bride and she is Jerusalem and she's coming down. But she's also got these gates in a wall and that's the names of the 12 tribes. And I've always struggled with what? <laughs> you know? 
I'm like, okay, well, that sounds important. I don't get it. Uh, but it's when we talk about a gate, it's something, it's a pl- way in. And you've got the way in are the 12 tribes. And you've got a gate in that wall around that city, which is that bride. And it is based on the names of people, the names of these tribes, which are each individual people. But it's a group of people. That's a little fuzzy to hold on to you in your head. It is for me. Then we're okay together. But you could ask the Lord about that. 21, uh, Revelation 21, 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Oh, I sold your song. I have to give that back. Okay. All right. Isaiah 62. Let's turn there. I'm just going to read all of Isaiah 62 to you. That's one of those moments where you go and you're like, I need this piece. And you go, oh, wait, that piece is good. Oh, wait. I need that other piece, too. All right. Whole thing. So, Lord, as I read Isaiah 62, like I said, I've prepared the, uh, the pottery. I've prepared the container. And I'm asking that you pour out revelation as I read it. For Zion's sake, I will hold, not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall, shall see your glory, or your, the Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hephzibah, and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength. Surely I will no longer give you grain as food for your enemies. I will no longer give your grain as food for your enemies. And the sons of the foreigners shall not drink your new wine for which you have labored. But those who have gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. Those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. Go through, go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Take out the stones. Lift up the banner for the peoples. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the ends of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And they shall call him the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. So I'm going to return us back 
to that core value to contend for a night and day cry for the protection and salvation of Israel's remnant and unity around Jesus's millennial purpose. Let's go to Romans 10, 1 through 4, so we can understand a little bit about Israel and what we know and just remind ourselves that they are not replaced. They have a purpose. So Romans 10, 1 through 4, Brethren, my heart desires and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. My prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. When I come to this passage, I can't help but think of the countless times that we ourselves have struggled with seeking to establish our own righteousness in here and repenting for it. And yet this is said about Israel. So this is not something that disqualifies them. This is something that they need saving out of. Just like it doesn't disqualify us, but we need saving out of. Romans 10, 19 through 20. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. This is regard to didn't they know. And you can hear they're being provoked to jealousy. That's the purpose. That's part of our... purpose in our core value is to provoke Israel to jealousy by saying I know your I follow your God this is not something separate or um, disconnected this is this is the man that they've been looking for uh, and it is our great honor to have been given an opportunity to see that and by seeing it, be able to share it and say, yes, yes, that man you're looking for, that man you have longed for, let me understand you and be able to share with you what I am seeing about him. And then from that place, provoke Israel to jealousy. Romans 11, 1 through 6 says it better, I think. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed your prophets and turned down your altars, and I alone have left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, as this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And it's by grace that is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Romans 11, 11 through 24. 
I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? I think I'm super grateful to be able to have received this salvation and that was at their fall. And this says how much more their fullness, how much more when they are restored. That I can't stop here with what I have and say, oh, isn't it nice what I've got? And not long for them to receive the fullness of what they have, even for how much more that means for me. I mean, maybe if I have to be selfish about it, but really... Out of that fullness of what I have, I want them to receive this. For I speak to you as to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them, for if they their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will then say, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear, for God did not spare the natural branches. He may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will, be, you will also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were caught out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? In Romans eleven twenty nine, which is a little further, it says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. All right. So it seems pretty clear. God's not down with Israel. They have a plan and a purpose. He made a covenant with them. And he is a covenant-keeping God. He chose a people. It's not anything that they have inherently other than the fact that he chose them. And because he chose them, they are now chosen. It doesn't change. And we get to partake in that, not have it separate and wish them well. Right? We want them with us. In fact, that bride is them and us together. It's not just us. It's not just me. 
And it's not just them. It's them and us together. And it won't be them and us then. It will be brothers and sisters. So we're working on it. We're getting there. That is, is the goal, is to pray for that and pray for them. And it becomes us rather than us and them. It becomes just us. Jeremiah 31, 6. For there shall be a day when the watchman will cry out, or will cry on Mount Ephraim, Arise and let us go up to Zion, to the, to the Lord our God. There's a place. Isaiah 66, 20. Then they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of the nations, on horses and in chariots and in litters, on mules and on camels, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem says the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering and a clean vessel into the house of the Lord, and I will also take some of them for priests and Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heaven and the new earth, which I will make, uh, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants in your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. All right, let's talk about the wedding. We know the passage in Matthew 25 really, really well. But I just want to look at it again. Um, Usually when I read the passage of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids, I focus on different things, and I'm trying to let the Lord steer me and see things Differently, I don't know if you ever do that, but sometimes when you hit a passage that you're very familiar with and you kind of skip, you just kind of know it, and it doesn't kind of resonate with you. When I, I, I sometimes go through my Bible and I'm underlining, <laughs> I keep underlining the same things, and then every now and then the Lord will breathe on it in a different way, and I will underline something else because it'll stand out. It's always fresh. When he, when he teaches me, it's always fresh. So, Lord, we're just asking that you teach us about the bridesmaids and the kingdom of heaven. And maybe that's it. So I'm having revelation in the middle. <laughs> Dave and I were talking about this. So it's a parable. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to. And I read the whole thing and skip over the kingdom of heaven part and imagine the virgins and the bridegroom, and I have this whole conversation that is part of the parable and forget that it's talking about the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) And so then when I start to work it out in my brain, oh, this must mean this, and this lines up with that, and that means this. You know, I'm talking, like I said, I'm talking to my husband, and he says, it's a parable. (laughs) It's a story about the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) So if you line it up too close, you're going to get into funky little things. You're going to assume that this means this and that means that when really it's about um, waiting. It's about storing up that oil with the Lord. The kingdom of heaven should be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So they went out to meet the bridegroom. The kingdom of heaven has a going out to meeting the bridegroom element of it. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamp and took no oil with them. Those who were wise 
took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they were slumbered and slept. So the kingdom of heaven has that wisdom, a place for wisdom and a place for foolish in the seeking of it, in the going out to meet it. At midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. So again, they went out to meet him, and then the call comes, and they go out to meet him, and all of those versions arose and trimmed their lamp. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No less there not be enough for us and you, but rather go out to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy... The bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. It's about being ready. It's about letting, having that relationship, that time spent, the oil, asking for it, because I really think that after many years of asking for more oil, more oil, I realize I cannot make the oil happen. <laughs> I really want to, but it's really... I can ask for the oil. I can ask for the relationship. I cannot make it happen. Afterward, the other virgins came also, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. That is also like, that is the kingdom of heaven. There will be some who say, I don't know you. That he says, I don't know you too. Watch therefore, for you do not know you do know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming. So the parable, the story is, this is the kingdom of heaven. It shall be like this. And there will be those that say, open to us, and that he says, I don't know you. But he tells us to watch, therefore. So when you think about a wedding, I did some research it. We've already kind of talked about this, but I'll just remind you that there is in Jewish tradition this waiting for the bridegroom thing that the women are over and they have lights to light his way. And that is coming into a chamber. There's also um, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the bride and being individual versus corporate and I was like, in this case, is this like the friend of the bridegroom? I must decrease and he must increase. Are these women the bride? I often think that they're all the brides. Um, and I think this is where you can mess with your, with, your, <laughs> with your parable and get too lost in it. But I do know what John said, that he said about the bride belongs to the bridegroom. And he said, the friends who attend the bridegroom waits and listens for him is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And that joy is mine, is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. This is what John said. I'm not the Messiah, but I sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. So. All right. So we talked a little bit about it. Feast of Tabernacles starts today which I think is amazing and beautiful. And so it just seems so prophetic. Uh, Leviticus 23, 39. So this is when uh, they 
talk about the different feasts and festivals. This one is at 39. Did I say 29? 39. 23, 39 is talking about Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. Also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, shall keep the Feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day, there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of the beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice for the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a Feast of the Lord for seven days, in the year, and it shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. And as we read, as we started, when um, Moses was, was getting the instruction about going up on the mountain, and we read about that right at the beginning. That was the, the sprinkling of the blood and the encountering of the Lord. And after that, he start, the Lord starts talking to them about first making a free will offering. And then from the stuff offered is where the tabernacle, all the things for the tabernacle in the wilderness came from. So that covenant came first and then the meeting place for the Lord the place where he could reside with them happened. And it talks about it in Exodus 25, 8 through 9. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its furnishings just so you shall make it. Just like following what we, well, you know, timing. All right. And then... I wanted to share something I read online. I don't remember the source. I always do this where I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I take it and I put it in my piece. And then I think later, what was that even from? I don't remember. So no one can find it, including myself. Sorry about that. Um, but somebody was talking about, I was thinking about the booths. So I was thinking about the canopies, which are the chuppah in a bridal, in a Jewish wedding. The bridal canopy. So this little snippet is not mine, but I'm going to share it with you. The tabernacle built in the desert to house the presence of God is described as a bridal canopy. The chuppah also, well, you don't need to know its spelling, is a symbol of God's presence at a wedding and in the home being established under the canopy. It was said the divine nature hovers above it, sanctifying the space below. After the ceremony, some rabbis invite couples to stand inside to recall or anticipate their own weddings. It's kind of like tossing in the bouquet, but way better. Starting in the 16th century, probably in Poland, a portable canopy held aloft by four poles came into use. In some European communities, the embroidered Torah ark covering were used as the covering. So you actually use the Torah ark covering to be the canopy. But over time, it became the custom to marry under a tallet or a prayer shawl, which is frequently a gift from the bride's family to the groom. The only rule about the construction of a chopa is that it be temporary, a temporary structure made by human hands. Other than that, it's yours to create, they said. So Revelation 19 
And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sounds of many, many thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then to me, then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. So, kind of up to this point, minus that bit from the internet and a few other bits, um, I had done, put this all down, and then a paper fell out of my Bible that I was like, Oh, one of Tom's old notes. Cool. I looked at it, and I was like, oh, look, there's that verse, and that verse, and that verse, and that verse. And I thought, okay. So I'm not really good at remembering verses, so I don't think um, that it was just me absorbing Tom's teaching, because he came at it from a completely different angle. And I can tell you, I think it was the September 4th teaching, which had to do with the... I don't remember the title, gave it like centrality of something I can't remember. Um, unfortunately, sorry, it's not very honoring. <laughs> anyway, I had it around here somewhere. But um, it, I, I realized that even though the verses were really a lot of them the same, I came at it from a completely different perspective. And it reminded me, actually, this makes me think, and I'm going to share it again. I already shared it with um, Mary and Abigail, but Lonnie Saunders in a prayer meeting talked about every, if everyone was standing in the same spot on top of each other, they'd be like right on top of each other's head, and it'd be really uncomfortable gazing at the Lord. But he has us, he wants us to be a, gazing from different perspectives. If we all had the same exact perspective, it'd be really uncomfortable, and it would just be one little tiny vision of the Lord, but he has us come at him from just continuing to grow close to him and look at him and gaze at what we're seeing and share what we're seeing, and then we see different aspects of it, and we see it from a different perspective. So um, if you want more, you can look at that September 4th teaching from Tom and get a completely different perspective in connection to what I've already shared. But I do want to diverge from that a lot, and I'm going to share about covenant. So I looked up good old Eastward, and I found, I just, I wanted to search some things out. So one of the things that I found was that there are 272 verses that have the word covenant in it. And then, and that's just one, that's just covenant. You know, if there were other variations, you know, Esword doesn't show them all. It's just that one. Um, it is H1285, Bereith. Um, it says from the H1262, and I'm telling you these numbers because we're going to go to those, because I love to follow on Esword the little root words, because I think it gives such a flavor of where the word comes from, where the word comes from, where the word comes from. So, covenant comes from, in the sense of cutting, a compact, a confederacy, a covenant or a league. A compact because it was made by passing between pieces of flesh. 
A sense of cutting then is the 1254. It's called bara. It's a primitive root, absolutely to create, qualified to cut down a wood, for example, select, feed as formative process, choose, create, create, or cut down, dispatch, do, make fat. So that's my little parentheses. <laughs> I love that the word covenant has cutting in it and creating in it and choosing in it. It also has 1262, which was the other one up there from B, uh, when it said at the beginning, the covenant from 1262, that's be raw, and that is primitive word root to select, also to feed, to render clear, to choose to eat, manifest, to give meat. That's covenant. And then if you follow that one, where that one comes from, it's from it's in the sense, it comes from another one, 1305, in a sense of winnowing. Grain of any kind, even when standing field, by extension, open country, corn, wheat. So covenant has these root words of choosing and cutting and winnowing and rendering clear. Here's another one. And this is the last one. That one comes from 1305, Ba-Ra. So the winnowing one comes from Ba-Ra. And it's primitive root to clarify, that is to brighten. Examine, select, make bright. Choice, chosen, cleanse, clearly polished, purified. So covenant has all of these little root words in them that, of course, when they're used in context, mean different things. But how beautiful to have a sense of cutting winnowing, selecting, choosing, and brightening and purifying as part of covenant. How I got here. So I was listening to that message on September 4th, and I felt the Lord took me to a little memory. And um, I under, my understanding of promising came very, very early on when Dave and I were dating. He tried to convey to me. I am a child who had divorced parents. And so I, my idea of promising was tricky. I couldn't quite get my head around how you could promise to someone. Like you could marry them and promise to love them for. I just, I was like, I, but... How do you, I mean, that's saying you're making a choice, you know, and you're promising right now at age 20 to prom, to love them for the rest of your life. And he described it to me, no, it's not, prom, a promise isn't, I promise now for the rest of my life off this one, the strength of that one promise. He described it as, I promise to choose you daily. So that means the promise is made fresh daily. Like, if the strength of a promise made when you're 20 is supposed to last your whole life, that my, my brain has a hard time getting around. But if you promise then to choose daily, then you're just promising for tomorrow. And you're promising forever, but it's not the strength of that promise at age 20 that's going to last your life. That strength doesn't have to be 
that strong. It just has to promise to choose daily. I promised to choose, and I thought that I could get my head around. And when I did, I was like, I get it. I get promises. I get covenant. It's I'm choosing you daily. I promise right now to choose this again tomorrow and to choose it again tomorrow. I'm promising, right? It's a, I don't know if it helps you, but it totally rocked my world and still does. Hebrews 10, 11, 14. This is where, this is where the Lord touched me on that. So this is, came out of the other teaching. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he's offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has made perfect love those who are being sanctified. Being sanctified means daily. It's a process. Continuously saved. That one that keeps choosing daily. Revelation 21, 6 through 7. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the waters of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. When I see that I promise to choose you daily from the Lord, I'm looking at a man who is, or I'm looking at God who is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. He's got both combined in his nature. He can make a promise that he continues to make. He's doing it just by who he is, the beginning and the end. He's made the promise. He keeps the promise. He is still keeping the promise. You know, conjugating verbs or something. It's like all of the things. Revelation 4, 2 through 8. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne, and he was sat there. It was like jasper and sardius stone in appearance. Oh, I read this. I'm so excited. <laughs> and there was a rainbow around the throne, and the appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. From the thrones proceeding lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning from the throne, which was the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal in the midst of the throne. And around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes, front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion. And the second living creature like a calf. And the third living creature like a face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Who promised who promises and will promise again. Hebrew 8, 7 through 13. A new covenant. For if this first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second, because finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind 
and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none of their brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins, and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And in that, he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So that's from Hebrews and Jeremiah 31, 31. It's also under the heading, a new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day that I took them out of the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is a covenant I will make the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall they come to teach each other's neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, and I will remember them no more. So just to explain a little bit, I get stuck sometimes looking at the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I think, okay, wait, um, I know partial fulfillment. I get all wrapped in my head. Is this... Did, did this, this was foreseen by Jeremiah, and is this, was this fulfilled when Jesus came? And, but that previous one was Hebrews. So we're actually, the new covenant, we're looking, we have a portion of it. So basically, there's more to come. We have the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantor of our inheritance till the redemption of the purchased procession to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit is the guarantor of our inheritance. He's the, mm, what is that called? Down payment. There we go. He is the down payment for what the fullness, what we will receive later, which is amazing when you have the Holy Spirit inside you, guiding you, and that is just a down payment of what's to come when Jesus returns and then the Father is with us. Second ah. Corinthians 1 20, 21. For all the promises of God are in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. All right. I have one more verse, so my response, people, I'm just giving you a heads up. If you need to use the restroom John 16, 5 through 16. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I will tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. I'm just going to interrupt myself there. So we've been talking a bit about judgment. It comes up. 
It's what we need to be drawn closer to him. And the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Of sin because they don't believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he, has, he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I, say, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. My the end of mine has the heading sorrow will turn to joy a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father so Lord I know he started off slow and ended up bleeding very fast (laughs) and I really need you Lord to fill in the pieces I know you're talking about the wedding of your son to the bride. I know you're talking about us seeing rightly in all the ways. I know you're pointing at Feast of Tabernacles and saying, listen, pay attention. This is important. Lord, I don't have all the pieces, but you do. I ask you to just come like a rushing river. Come and fill Come and fill the pots, Lord. Everyone who has come here prepared to receive, Lord, fill them. Fill them, Lord, with your revelation. Let anything that was of me that's just my talking, let it fall away and be forgotten. Let only what the Holy Spirit has blown on, only what the Holy Spirit, only what you, Holy Spirit, have placed in people's hearts. Ignite that, Lord. Let that be truly what you're saying right now, Lord. Let the Holy Spirit speak through us, Lord. Lord, don't let us get in the way. Lord, we need to be a prophetic people. Help us to be a prophetic people. If I have to do this, however differently, so that you can be heard and less of me, Lord, I want that. I want that, Lord. I want you to be heard. I want you to be glorified in this place. Be glorified in this place. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. The one who was, the one who is and is to come. The promise-keeping covenant God. Thank you, Lord.